Thank you. Ah. Hi, everyone. My name is Teresa. I'm an alcoholic. Good to see you all. Hello, hello. Hey, I will say this. I'm feeling kind of good that I'm not driving all the way out to Laguna on a Sunday. No. <laughs> Anybody knows me, I will, you know, I have to say, I've shared this often and I traveled a lot. I would always say, I don't like planes, trains, and buses, but I'm willing to go to any lanes. So I've been really blessed to just push a button and go all over the world. Uh, so I've really been enjoying that. So I'm glad to participate in my recovery in a way that doesn't traumatize me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Good to see some familiar faces. Uh, uh, hot diggity dog. I'm always nervous too. I told that to Kashina beforehand and I had to call her because I'm looking at her picture and I swore, I thought it was a still shot. She was like, I was like, you look terrified. What's the matter with you? And that was funny. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> we don't want to call 911. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> I'm always nervous too. Uh, I want to thank Kashina for sharing. Uh, she was awesome. I. And it's funny, it's like she said everything I need to say, I need to say really in 10 minutes, right? Because that's pretty much what it's all about. I'm just going to like stretch it out a little bit, but that's the gist of all of it. Uh, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity and the honor and the privilege to, to dance with her and witness her recovery. And, and, and more than anything, it's helped me so much, especially during that time. I have to say it, I'm going to talk about it for a minute. Especially during that time, you know, if anything, she would always call. And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it. <laughs> I would have killed myself a long time ago. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I'm so glad that she's still here with us to tell the story, to share with the newcomers what works and what doesn't work. That's right. Oh, man. So I, too, am always nervous. Uh. It doesn't matter if I'm on camera in my kitchen or living room or whatever, or at a podium. Uh, I find it intimidating, uncomfortable and awkward, just is being in the spotlight. And I know some people who love it, that's just not me. I do like talking about God and I love talking about this process of recovery. I know it looks like I'm about to take off on the plane. I just have to say I'm going through menopause and I got the air condition on and the fan and I'm fanning. Everybody's freezing in my house. <laughs> and I'm like, is it me? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really hot in here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having a moment right now. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, God. Okay. That doesn't help to be nervous either. I'll begin by saying my sobriety date. My sobriety date is March 29, 1990. Uh, but for the grace of God, sponsorship, fellowship, the big book, it takes a village, you know what I mean, to raise a drunk like me. Thank God for that village that I've been with you for the last 30 years. I've been sharing this. I'm still trying to take that in, right? I have my birthday in March, and I'm like, what? Thank goodness we only do this one day at a time, right? I don't know if I would have stayed if you would have said, you have to be here for 30 years. I'd have been like, what? I'm out of here. Uh, so I'm glad we do it one moment at a time, one minute at a time, one hour, and then it accumulates to days and weeks, months, and years. So here I am. I came to you at the age of 24. I just also celebrated on the 23rd of July, 55 years of age. And so I've kind of outlived the time that I was drinking. And I'm 55. I am 30 years sober. I am present, awake, 
and aware than ever before, <laughs> having a new experience. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I always tell people, just give me a second. Just give me a second. I am present for the experience. <sighs> I want to welcome our new friends. Welcome home. We've been praying for you. Please keep coming back. I wish you the gift of desperation. It's going to be all right. You know, I heard you don't have to take a drink again if you want to, and more importantly, even if you don't want to, right? We got you. It's going to be all right. Old timers in the house, thank you for my life and my sobriety. I am so grateful that you keep coming back to let me know that no matter what, I can recover one day at a time. I'm not sure of my time. Do I have a timer? You know, the funny thing, I'm hoping I'll get, I, th I didn't even realize I was sharing earlier. I literally spoke at another meeting about less than an hour ago. <laughs> I was like, anyway, uh, I don't know my time. So somebody help me. I didn't put my timer on there. Is that my 10 minutes too? Susan. You have about until like 8.55. So okay, yeah, 40 minutes. All right. I can stall a little bit longer. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. I get to share in a general way, and I invite you to listen to similarities and not the differences. And we get to ask ourselves some questions. Like that happened to me. I felt that way too. And most importantly, perhaps this program can work for me. Man, there's something about, I don't know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting, and that's not unusual. not unusual and it's something also has been going on since this whole little situation is that I've gotten more calls than ever and have the ability to be far more of service beforehand my phone rang like central office now I need some volunteers you know because everybody's at home right <laughs> where before people were living their life and call me whenever and now everybody's like all day long uh, or my house full with folks and it's and as usual, what I've learned is that by working with others, it helps me to have a better understanding about me, my disease, and my relationship with God. And so since I've been doing so much of it, I've really been looking at me, you know? And I am filled with gratitude. I have gratitude of the growth and the change that I'm seeing manifesting. I'm watching that currently I'm coming out of some real dark times, and I'll get an opportunity to share that with you. And really looking at how far I have come, we talk about living two lifestyles in one lifetime. And as though, it, although I have surpassed the years in which I was drinking, I don't ever want to forget her. And as I constantly reflect upon my relationship with alcohol and the insidiousness of this disease, it astonishes me that I survived the first 24 years of my life. The fact that I was born addicted to this disease, alcohol was given to me as an infant and fed to me. I never skipped a day from drinking or had a New Year's resolution or took a break. And that I drank every single day, all day from conception till arriving in this world and until I came to you, not one day went by that I didn't put alcohol, this substance, in my body. But yet, here I am. Here I am. 
my first 24 years was driven by, inundated, consumed with alcoholism, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. I didn't know anything was wrong with it. Sorry for the screeching. That's kind of a good, that's a good background noise for what my experience was during those years when I just thought about that. But I, <laughs> I was like, that's a really good background sound. <laughs> that's how I was feeling back then. Huh. I have to, anyway, that's my neighbor. But I have to say this, I'm sorry, I'm in rare form. But my poor neighbor, you know, this program is awesome that we become other-centered, but we're, I'm also driven by self, right? So my poor neighbor, I don't know if anybody heard that screeching. The other day, I was like, yo, what's wrong with your car, man? Can I help you? <laughs> Not only do I want to help you because you need help, but it's driving me crazy. So I have a selfish motive. Anyway, so I'm going to look into that for him. Uh, so I live my entire life inundated with nothing but abuse. And what's interesting about that was that I had no inclination or idea or opinion that something was wrong with it. I think that's what gets me the most. I never questioned it. I didn't say I need to run away from it. Something's wrong with this. I wanted the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, I wanna learn how not to be this way. I was groomed to live that way. The very character defects I've been invited to remove around here. I was breeded by them. Uh, you certainly can't survive the world I come from without them. Alcohol spoke to me. It told me that it loved me. It was going to take care of me. That it didn't matter if anybody else loved me. It didn't matter what anybody was doing to me. It was more like three monkeys or the four monkeys. I don't know how many monkeys, but I know they're monkeys. Whereas like, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. It allowed me to be detached and disconnected from the experience. I didn't have to have a heartbeat at all. I didn't notice anything that was happening. I didn't cry. I was describing that earlier. I mean, I literally in a way live like, I don't know if anybody's seen that movie, Death Becomes Her, but I would go to the doctor with broken bones. I love that movie, it cracks me up. I would go to the doctor with broken bones and literally be sticking out of my arm. And I'm like, are you going to fix this? You know, and they'd be like, what? You have a big-ass bone sticking out of your arm. Yeah, you're going to put that back in? That's how detached I was from it. <sighs> it was my oxygen. You know, I never had an opportunity to experience being restless, irritable, and discontent unless I find the ease and comfort that comes immediately with the first few drinks. I didn't have an opportunity to even measure the level of this allergy that you talked about because it's as though I always kept a bottle going that I never went without it, nor the well never went dry. I wasn't hunting or seeking more. Uh, it was always readily available. I drank in my house, not in the street with my friends or peer pressure or the, or the prom. It was always there. It was only until 
the age of 24 where something changed. And this is where I always say most of us meet. Because I hear a lot of stories in these rooms and alcoholism is no respect of any person, place, or thing. And what makes me different from the average temperate drinker or problem drinker is that I have this allergic reaction. And consequences don't get my attention. And I like the effect that it produces on the all circumstances and situations, but something happens where for whatever reason around this age, I did what I usually do, what I normally do, is I took a drink and I was restless, irritable, and discontent. The ga that's a game changer, folks. <laughs> I always say I don't mind doing incomprehensible, demoralizing things when I don't notice. <laughs> hmm? The way I describe it, excuse me, <coughs> is that alcohol betrayed me and it abandoned me and left me emotionally retarded with no coping skills. But you see, for all my life, it told me when to get up in the morning and when to go to bed at night. Where I was going to live, where I wasn't going to live. If I was going to work, if I wasn't. If I was in a relationship and who I was in a relationship with. I mean, it had dictated every waking moment. And now, I couldn't get up in the morning. And I couldn't go to bed at night. And I couldn't walk. And I didn't know who I was. And I didn't know where I was. I literally had lived in a blackout for 24 years. And I had never been here. And it scared the living daylights out of me. Alcohol was my master. It was my nurturer, my lover, my companion, my friend, my nurse, my oxygen. And now I couldn't breathe. And I felt all the punches and I heard all the name calling and I saw all the violations and I couldn't do anything different about it. And I couldn't check out from it. And so the best thing I can do is to invite death into my life. And I believe it's a horrific thing when death seems to be the only viable solution and death don't even take me out. So where's a drunk like me supposed to go? What is it that I'm supposed to do when that is the only thing that I know and I and I have to drink because that's all I know whether I'm getting the effect or not. And I end up doing the aimless walk, I call it. And I ended up in a church. And I said a prayer. And I think it's different than any other prayer. I know that it came from the depths of my soul. I didn't know who I was praying to. I didn't know if anything was listening to me. I didn't have the vocabulary that I was surrendered or I was done. I don't know anything about that. I just know that there I stood. In our literature, it talks about only an act of providence can help a drunk like me. And but for the grace of God, I stand before you sober today. And what I understand today that that gift of desperation was the moment that I was in. And what became visible was the window of the grace of God. And I could have missed it. 
And I asked God to allow me to feel the peace that I felt in that church inside of me. And that was for a moment for my head to shut up, my skin to stop crawling, and for my stomach to stop turning, just for a minute. And again, I had no idea that prayer was going to change my life. I crawled into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous via Greyhound bus from New York City. And I came to you because of an attraction called, you know, a tradition called attraction rather than promotion. My mother's in the program and my cousin. And I remembered you people. Your smiles, your laughter, the warmth and the camaraderie that you have with one another. I remember nobody ever shunned me. Suck your teeth at me and roll your eyes at me. And most importantly, nobody ever tried to shove a pamphlet down my throat. And I really am grateful you didn't do that. Because I would have figured out how to die out there, I'm telling you. <laughs> I proved you right. And when I arrived in downtown Los Angeles Union Station, my mother picked me up and took me directly to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because you told her to. And she left me there. She couldn't help me. She did whatever she needed to do. And she turned me over to the very people that had saved her life. I got sober in 9604 Crenshaw-Lano. I say I'm so proud of the breed that I come from. And I hope you feel that way about your home group. And there were old timers there that I described. I felt like a baby in a baby basket left at the doorstep. And it was the old timers that picked up that basket and brought me into the rooms. And, and they, they took advantage of something that I bought in the rooms with. They took advantage of a good, excuse the language, a good raw ass whooping that I had come from and a mustard seed of willingness to help a drunk like me, who is selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, arrogant, egotistical, undisciplined, issues with authority figures, don't trust anybody. It's something amazing that when my butt is so raw and I've got a white flag and I say up my booty, I'm not even waving it, that's how intense that is, what I'm willing to do. I had no idea what the heck was going on here, what was going on with mommy, how this thing works. I just knew that I was here. And if you people couldn't help me, somebody need to blow my braids out. That's where I was at. But I'm not doing another 24 like this. And I don't know how else to do it, what else to do. I was done. I've been saying that I ain't got no more chips in the game. I got no more straws to draw. I got no more cards on the table. I ain't got nothing. I always describe Marcy because it sets the tone for me. This little Puerto Rican woman walked straight up to me and I remember it. I remember it because she, somebody just showed me a picture of her at a, uh, we call it the parking lot meeting from 9604, we have fun. Uh, but she, they showed me the picture of Marcy, another Boricua, you know, like me. And, and I say, God knew what to do. You know, when I came to you, uh, I tell people, you know, I'm from New York and I know it's a melting pot and we, everybody sees it that way, but we're very segregated. And, and I didn't grow up around other people, only Puerto Ricans. Uh, I tell folks I got one uncle that got 36 kids. I don't need no friends. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 36 cousins and we all live together anyway. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and so, of course, here I get a Puerto Rican, you know, that walks up to me and then she was strong and her chest was out and she had like a confidence and she's petite. Little itty bitty thing, Marcy. She walked to me and walked up to me and she said, Hey, baby, we've been praying for you. Now, I thought you had been praying for me because you knew my mother, but it turns out you pray for all those still sick and suffering. And she said, God don't make no junk, baby girl. You deserve to be here. And she put her hands around my face and looked at me in my eyes. And I don't think I've ever looked at anybody in their eyes. And she said, you have a beautiful light inside of you, baby. And we just got a clean house so that light can shine. Oh, I remember Marcy, that still gets me every time I say it. Oh my gosh. Woo, that still gets me. What did she see? What was she talking about? I never heard anything like that before. What did she see? It's interesting to me that I believed her. I believed her. Was it because I was so broken? Was it because I had been broken? Was it because I had always wanted to know that I was something, that I wasn't trash, that I was convinced that I was? Was it because alcohol didn't allow me to not care about being trash? I don't know and I don't care. All I know is that when she said that, I, I was all in. I was all in. And perhaps it's because I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. I'm not one of those that's on the fence very often. Either I'm all down or I'm not. And I wanted to know what she saw. And I began to see it in all of you, pretty much. I always say that moment that Bill opened up the door and he saw Ebby. It was what attracted Bill is what he saw. Not what Ebby said, but what he saw. And I saw that in you. Whatever that was Marcy was talking about, I began to see it in you. Couldn't put my finger on it. Didn't quite know what it was, but I wanted to know. And then you gave me the roadmap. You gave me the breadcrumbs. You gave me the treasure map. And you said, it's a simple program. And in order to find whatever that light was, all I had to do was follow the black on the white. And that the very first thing I needed to do was to concede to my innermost self that I was truly alcoholic. How was I to do that? By listening to you. And as I began listening to you and I, and I'm looking at the black and the white and I'm starting to connect the dots. You told me to examine my relationship with alcohol, mine. I didn't call myself an alcoholic because I want to be a part of the in club or it sounded good and I had nowhere else to go. What is an alcoholic? What is that? You guys are calling yourselves that. What is that? And you began to define it. And as you started defining it and the big book started outlining it, I was like, are you serious right now? That's how I've been. I tell people, maybe because I'm Latina. I mean, I was at a meeting and they were like, oh, the guy, the woman, I don't like yelling at me. I'm like, I'm not yelling, I'm just talking. As a matter of fact, you should get worried when I get quiet, okay? 
Because when I get silent, everybody in my house gets nervous. But as long as I'm doing this, we're all good. <laughs> I'm just talking. I'm like, no, no, no. My mother watches Caso Cerrado all day. If you don't want to get into it, put a Telemundo. And you'll see how normal my conversations are anyway. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> mommy's like, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> oh, man. I was fascinated by looking at something that's been going on for generations in my family as a normal way of life, that this was an illness, that I was bodily different. And it began to explain some things that I couldn't quite understand. And this peculiar mental twist scared me even more. The fact that my own mind will plot and plan how to get in it as well as try to tell me that this is a way to get out of it, but really it's ingenuity is to keep me in it, but then tell me there's nothing wrong with it. I tell people, I don't know about you, I'm scared. Are you scared? That's scary. It's scary to me that I can take this substance and put it in my body, and despite what I think, what I say, what I can lose, I can't do nothing about it. No willpower, no affirmations, no self-talk, no other people loving me. That scared me, folks. What are you saying to me right now? And I have a soul sickness? Okay, I've been telling folks, maybe I'm a little overly dramatic, okay? Because I do a lot of Telemundo, you know what I mean? And us Latinos are very dramatic. But that's how I, I, that's how I took it. Okay, I took this program. You should have seen. <laughs> I've gotten better. But people would share. I would read the big book and I'd be like, what are you saying to me right now? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? What? Okay. It's, look. My thing was this. And I tell this to people who are new. Once, I, once we fully understand, fully understand the illness in which I suffer from, I don't see how I have no other choice but to run to the remaining steps. Do you know what I mean? It was like, I have to. I'm in trouble. You put the plug in the jug, I'm even in more trouble than I ever was before. I have to find a power. All my life I've reached outside of myself. My total reliance, whether it's on the God of reason or relationships or job or money or alcohol, extracurriculum activity, all my life I've reached outside of myself. Outside, outside, outside. Coming up short, coming up short, coming up short. Hold you hostage, let you hold me hostage rationalizing, justifying. And you mean to tell me that the answer lied within me all along? And all I gotta do is go on this journey to discover this power? That fascinated me. I was intrigued, I was hungry, I was interested, and I wanted to see. How do I get there? Do the steps. The only decision that I needed to make around here was step three. I don't need to decide where I'm gonna live, who loves me, who doesn't love me, 
how I fit in the world, where I belong, where I'm supposed to work, what I'm supposed to do. The only thing I need to decide is to turn my will and my life over to the care of this power. And somehow that was a relief to me. Somehow that relieved me of not having to figure this out. I've been trying to figure out things for way too long and I was tired. What also got me, I've been sharing this a lot because I've really been looking at this. What really got me was that you all had found this power. And because lack of power was my dilemma that had me under the delusion that I had power, but you found this source of power that needed my permission. Nothing had ever asked for my permission. I didn't realize that till, re you know what I mean? Till recently, how profound that was for me. This power you found here, I need to bring willingness to the table. I have to make a decision. It doesn't come, you know what I mean, uninvited. But I've had a lot of other higher powers in my life that never asked my permission. Nobody asked my permission to take my virginity at five. Nobody ever asked my permission to put a bottle down my throat. And I've had damn near a gun put to my head to do it. Remember my sponsor telling me, you may not be responsible for your disease, but you're responsible for your recovery. I don't remember the allergy asking my permission whether I'll take the next one or not. I don't remember anyone asking my permission when I was held hostage for three years and beat up and locked up. No one has ever asked my permission, but this power you found did. And all I had to do was bring a mustard seed of willingness and say, okay, let's dance. I wanted to know that power. To me, that's the power of all powers. And they burned into my consciousness. Trust God, clean house, be of service. Trust God, clean house, be of service. I had to begin dismantling all of these delusions and pompous ideas and perceptions and false narratives. And that was my only job here. My only assignment was to clean house, clean house, clean house, clean house. I didn't have to do nothing else. Let's get rid of anything and everything that is blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit, like Marcy said. And that's what I started doing, folks. <laughs> I started cleaning house. And then I became a witness. I became a witness to see what this power can do. I hear people around here talk about beyond your wildest dreams. I ain't never dreamed. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> What's a dream? Hmm. I watch myself become a woman of dignity, of integrity, of self-respect. I watch myself become a daughter, a sister, a friend, a neighbor, a aunt. I watched it happen. I'm no longer the CEO of Teresa Incorporated. I am thoroughly convinced 
that life run by me don't work. I like visuals. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, Tabitha Takeover or the Restaurant Takeover. It was more like, give me the keys. I'm taking over. That's what I'm doing. And when I said, God, take all of me, what will you have me be? What will you have me do? I've been the caregiver, caretaker to most of my perpetrators and my abusers. That's my assignment. And I practice the gift of forgiveness and compassion, stretches my spiritual muscles, I'm not doing it out of virtue. I'm doing it because this is a life and death errand and my life depends on it. Because I have a new employer and a new director. I did a whole lot of house cleaning around religious practices and spiritual practices because all that I had been through in my life, there was a lot of religion around it. I ended up returning back to that. And I am literally married to God and a faithful servant of God. And my responsibility is to continuously clean house and clean house so that I become right-sized and that I'm in alignment with this power so that I can do whatever it will have me do, but not in the sense of a puppet, and so that I can have an intuitive thought, that I now have a brain to use, and that I can take the right action because the answers come because my own house is in order. And I've been able to do a whole lot of no matter what. It's something for me to have to put my brother on life support and take him off. You need to give me a minute. What's my assignment? I don't know how not to give this program away. This becomes a working part of my mind and my body. And I know people who get caught up, we don't do it perfectly. But where I got sober, they say, yeah, we, we don't do it perfectly, but you need to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> you people get caught up on that. You're like, we don't do it perfectly. No, but you need to make a conscious effort. You know what I mean? To like, <laughs> oh goodness gracious <laughs> so each and every day I make a conscious effort to apply this program to my life recently I'm a student I've started going back to school I know my sponsors just love hearing about that now <laughs> God dangled the carrot man I, I never thought I wanted to go to school or thought of I hear people talk about that in the rooms and and I didn't go so I can find out that I'm really not stupid or anything like that because you can't be a survivor like I am and think you're dumb. You know what I mean? My head can tell me that, but I've, I've gotten myself in, you know, whatever. Uh, right? And so here I'm in school and I'm like, I don't know what this is all about, but here I am. And now I'm being stretched in a whole other way. I am, I am learning about more about intuition. I'm learning more about who I am as a woman and as a person and and I'm maturing and I'm growing through this experience. And I apply everything that I've learned here. I bring that into my classrooms and my professors. I love the traditions and I always share this. I took that to my class and because <laughs> the tradition around here is I'm a member because I say I am. The only requirement for membership is a desire to want to stop drinking. And I would always go around going, you know, I'm a member. You have to help me. I don't like you either. Okay. I'm a member. I have a desire. <laughs> <laughs> you have to help me. 
And so I started doing that in class. I would tell that to the professor. I would be like, teacher, <laughs> I'm a student. You have to help me. I don't like you either. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a student. You're the teacher. They used to be like, oh my God, Teresa. <laughs> and I'm growing leaps and bounds in that experience. I, I'm part of a beta kappa wappa. I don't even know what the hell it's called. I, I think I got a bumper sticker for it. I don't even know what it means. Uh, I know that I think it's an honor society. I, I'm one of the oldest people, right? I'm 55 in my class. And the only thing I tell them, the only difference between you and me is that I really don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only difference uh i've got the highest gpa you know in that class and so the students started paying attention and i've been advocating for them to pass and you know what i mean i'm applying the service that i love here with you know my fellow classmates and i'm enjoying that so much i've got colleges asking me to go there and to attend and scholarships so i, I still have it i'm in my third semester i don't know what the heck is going on uh I just do what's in front of me and I continue to just keep cleaning house and I trust that God will guide me and give me the thought of the next indicated action. And I'm not sure what's gonna unfold of this. I'm not pursuing a career for a specific degree for a specific reason. Even when they ask me, I'm like, I don't know. God just, I don't know what I'm doing here. All I know is that I said, okay, God, what are we doing today? And I'm in school uh, and I'm going with that. I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous to give a new life, not only to me uh, and to those I'm able to be of service to, but what I do know that happens around here that's a magnitude and the ripple effect is that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me tools to pass on to the new generation. My brother had two boys and they're 22 and 17 now. That's a gift. And I get to pass down to this generation these tools designed for living. That they don't even need to scratch the surface of the life that my brother and I came from. They say things like, I'm uncomfortable and I love you. I'm hurting. I did writing. I just, I've been teaching those boys to do inventory since they started to write. The moment they had issues with their friends or they found some girl that they really liked. I was like, I don't know, man. All I know is I do a thing called a sex inventory. You know, like, <laughs> when I tell them. <laughs> it's so cute. And they got their other little friends doing it. You know, can I call you? I think I got to do a fifth, you know. <laughs> That's all Titi knows. <laughs> and it's interesting because back in the day, my family taught me, right, if there was an issue or problem, he'd drink, right? So now with the boys, something's going on. I go, no, here, take this step, take this tradition and see what happens. Uh, tap into a source of power and, and just watch, you know what I mean? Watch it go. Today I'm grateful because I do have a life that's different than that other life. Outside things, sometimes they come, they go, they change. I lose things, I get things. I've been through so many no matter what's around here, folks, in 30 years, I'm telling you. I've had a house, lost a house. I've been homeless. I've been bankrupt. I, I've had an abundance of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, my goodness. And I live transparent. Wherever I travel and speak, everybody knows. Some people, I've been through so much in all these years. Sometimes I'll travel somewhere to speak and folks are like, what happened? <laughs> Who died? Huh? Did you get a house? You know what I mean? What's going on? <laughs> How's your body? You know, it's like, <laughs> 
I got new adjectives today, you know, the fibromyalgia, anxiety, PTSD, depression, now menopause. I mean, it's just like, what? But I got tools. And if there's anything that I'm in a place at today, because lately I was really going through a lot of heartbreak, you know what I mean? You guys taught me how to love and I got heartbroken. Grief is really something. I had some hard losses, man. But I did this no matter what. And my feet are trained. And I still answered the phone. And I still showed up or put up the chairs. You know, I give this example. When my brother died, or my dad, I don't have words to describe that. And I remember when my brother died and that machine went flat and I looked around the room because, you know, I didn't know what just happened, right? And I went to the kitchen and my nephew followed me and then I turned to him and I was like, okay, check this out. I don't know how to do this, yo. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to cry, console you, scream, lose my mind, be quiet. I have no idea what's going on here, none. But what I know is this, and this is something that I don't ever wanna not know. I know that I'm an alcoholic. I may not know nothing else right now, but I'm an alcoholic. And that's my anchor. And I told him, so this is what I know how to do. I know how to make coffee. You understand? <laughs> I know how to make coffee. So I'm gonna make a pot of coffee. <laughs> and we're gonna see what happens. And my nephew says to me, Well, that makes sense, Titi. <laughs> That's your only brother that just died. That's my only father. Of course, we don't know what to do. <laughs> so I'm gonna help you make coffee. That to me is the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. That today I have access to this. And if you're new, we have access to something that under all conditions, all circumstances, whatever is going on, there was a time that I didn't know how to deal with something, I reached for a drink. Today, all I need to do is to reach for these steps. And then I watch something happen. Life is good right now, this moment. Right now, this moment. I know I got another drink in me, folks. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> but every part of me tells me that if I leave you, I will not have another recovery. For me to drink is to die. This is a life and death era. And I only got 24 hours. I always end with calling God a show off. Takes a girl like me, unloved, unwanted, unnecessary and insignificant picks me up, dusts me off, and builds me up so you can see what he can do. Can't take credit for it, can't even pat myself on the back. Just a mustard seed of willingness. So I can do what? It allows me to shift from being a human doing to a human being. Like Ralph says, so I get a blessing to be a blessing. And you give me a purpose. And my assignment is this, to stay sober and carry the message. That's it, and that's all. And with that, I've been overpaid. 
And I say, if this power can do this for me, could you imagine what he can do for you? If nobody told you they love you today, I truly, truly do. I want to thank you all so much for allowing the God in you to help discover the God in me so that I, in return, can do the same for others. Thank you, thank you, thank you.